Cyber attackers aren't a priority until your company is number one on their hit list. Vulnerabilities can be ignored until one makes your business the front page news. Secure your business digital future with Salcom Cyber Threat by Telefonica Tech, the complete cybersecurity service with round-the-clock monitoring and detection. Get serious about cybersecurity. Find out how only at Salcom Business. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This, of course, is uh, Matt Splained, MSP, whatever you'd like to call it. Now, what does science do when nobody's watching? It, it carries on regardless. And back with another round of recent breakthroughs and weird developments in science and technology is resident existentialist Matt Armitage. If you fall over in your God, does anyone care? Hey, Richard, I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually the correct application of the tree in a forest thought experiment. Um, so, yes, I do make noise uh, and you are correct. Mostly no one cares. Uh, but, you know, there's no time for these silly diversions of yours today. Uh, ah. This may be a bit of a, a whistle stop as we haven't done one of these weird science episodes for uh, close to two months, I think. So, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of science has built up. I, I need to clear some of it. Uh, I'm afraid you can hear King Jafar in the background. So <laughs> apologies if I rattle through topics a bit more quickly than I would usually. Um, shall we kick off with one of your uh, privacy stories? Uh, why not? As you've already uh, pointed out, there's a, a thin line between privacy and loneliness, at least in my life. Uh, I think uh, privacy is going to be very much a, a recurring theme this year, not that it hasn't been in other years. Mm. This year, I think there'll be a renewed focus as we see a lot more action by regulators against technology companies. And I would expect a raft of initiatives and new technologies on the back of those actions to increase and then ring fence those uh, privacy advances. Mm -hmm. So we start this week with something that's uh, become a bit of a hot topic since the start of the year, and quite unexpectedly, because when this technology was announced in September, it seemed potentially useful, but not something that anyone would really get upset over. And uh. that's uh, Apple's iCloud Private Relay. Uh, it was launched with uh, iOS 15. It's mm -hmm. still in its uh, beta mode, so it's not on public release. But if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you are an iCloud Plus subscriber, you can join the beta uh, really simply by switching a toggle switch uh, in your iCloud settings on your, uh, again, phone or, or tablet. And once it's on, what it does is essentially to mask your internet activity. It will hide your IP address. It will hide your DNS search addresses from any websites that you go to. And it also encrypts your data as it leaves your device. But don't a lot of other apps already do this? Yeah, they do. Uh, this really helps in those instances where there aren't any protections or encryptions based into the app that you're using, or mm -hmm. when you're browsing and you go to websites that very aggressively track and identify IP addresses 
and other identifiers, you know, location data that might give them an idea who you actually are. So mm. once you activate the private relay, you can choose from a, a couple of different privacy protection levels. Uh, you can either give a, a generalized location, sort of roughly where you are, or you can limit it down to just the time zone and the country that you're located in, which will allow mm. you to get the the relevant correct service from you know subscription services. I don't know whether the company plans to expand or fine tune these choices in the future. I would like to see a bit more kind of granular access, but this is part of Apple's ongoing efforts to focus on privacy and attract users who want more control over the way their information is logged and the way it's utilized. Other services that Apple has launched recently for privacy protection include uh, email masking. Uh, so when you subscribe to websites or you create a login for a service, you can actually use an anonymized version of your uh, iCloud address. And that stops that company from then selling that email address to a third party, but still allows you to access those services. But how does it differ from a VPN, Matt? Well, in some ways, it's similar. Um, it, you know, it, it masks the address or location that your internet traffic originates from. Essentially, the private relay works by creating additional stops between you and the sites you're trying to access. So when you type in the address of the website, you're sent to a, a relay that's run by Apple. Apple can see your IP, uh, your IP address, your original address, uh, but the website that you're going to is encrypted, so it can't see where you're headed. Your mm. traffic is then sent on to a third party that's engaged by Apple. They can see a decrypted version of the IP address that you're headed to, uh, sorry, of the, uh, of the website address that you're headed to, but your IP address is now protected so they can't see where it's come from. And from there, you're directed to the site that you originally wanted to go to. So unlike a, a, a VPN, it doesn't actually change or modify your IP address, which, you know, that's what most of us use VPNs uh, to, to do. Uh, mm -hmm. With VPNs, you can make it appear that your traffic is coming from another location, usually from another country. And that allows you to access uh, services that may be blocked in the country that uh, your IP address is located in. So this private relay won't affect that. Uh, so effectively, you have to choose to use the private relay or a VPN. So you choose one or the other at any one time. Which, Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's really not a big deal because, as I said, it's just activating toggle switches in your settings. So it's very easy to switch between one and the other. So um, what's the reason it, it's suddenly become contentious? Well, yeah, on the, the sound of it, it's not really doing anything that VPNs don't already do. But a lot of telcos don't seem to like it. Uh, in Europe, uh, a bunch of mobile operators are complaining that it will restrict their access to metadata and network information. They're reportedly considering approaches to regulators to have this kind of service banned. Uh, a group oh. of telco, yeah, uh, a group of telco bosses wrote a letter to European lawmakers last year, stating, amongst other things, that the private relay will impair their ability to innovate and compete. It may impact their ability to efficiently manage telecommunication networks. Uh, these points do seem to be contested by many of the comms and uh, network experts who don't work for those telcos. Uh, 
And uh, as a second reason that it's hit the news is because some iCloud subscribers haven't been able to activate the service. So mm. it seems that some of the telco operators have blocked access to the feature, uh, not necessarily deliberately. Um, I mean, I, I seem to be using it fine on Cellcom, for example. But telcos like T-Mobile, uh, I think in, in Europe, have announced that if a user's plan includes things like content filtering or parental controls, then mm -hmm. that will prevent the private relay from functioning. And additionally, it seems that Apple has agreed not to implement it in certain countries uh, like Saudi Arabia, China, Belarus, and some others. And you can draw your own conclusions about that. Yeah. Um, obviously, if, if it's baked into the OS, then it will likely have a, an outsized impact. Um, but it does seem like a lot of fuss when you consider that commercially available VPNs just pretty much do just do the same thing. Well, yeah, I think that baked in part is actually the crux of it. You know, Apple mm. has always been about making things painless. And anyone who's used a VPN knows that they're anything but painless. You know, with a, a VPN, you have to go through all that fuss of choosing one in the first place that mm -hmm. actually works for the purposes you want to use it for. Uh, you have to download it. You have to figure out how to set up the app, which is not always easy. Not yeah. to mention the fact that, you have to to swap or change VPN providers from time to time because different services will block their proxy service uh, the proxy service. So you could end up using two or three different VPNs depending on what you want to use them for. So yeah. private relay is very Apple. It's not like a VPN. It's simple. It's easy and. It may well even be configured by default on its future devices. You know, we don't know yet. And I am hoping that Apple makes this available to all iOS users once it becomes a public release. You know, it seems a little bit weaselly to uh, be a company that protects privacy but make a feature like this only available to people who use your subscription services. So mm -hmm. I do hope that it will be universally available. Uh, I should mention as well that uh, Private Relay only works for browsing if you're using the Safari browser. It doesn't work with Google's Chrome for obvious reasons. And uh, if you're using an Android device, I guess until Google changes its data policies, you're going to have to stick with uh, VPNs to uh, protect your identity and protect your digital world. Um, are we done with privacy? Uh, I'm not seeing much evidence of you rattling through topics, Matt. Okay, I'll speed up. Um, another quick <laughs> encryption story while we're here. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, us use those, you know, random passwords that are suggested by our operating system when we log mm. on to something for the first time, or you might use a random password generator in a third-party uh, protection app like LastKey or 1Password. But how often do we think about how random those passwords actually are? So it turns out they're not as random as we might think. Computers, of course, are designed to be logical. They're designed to repeat processes. Uh, and that's sometimes at odds with our need for encryption. So mm. code-breaking tools look for the patterns in the pseudo-randomness that computers use to generate these so-called random passwords. Achieving true randomness for a computer is extremely hard. And I love this example. Uh, how do you think the web security company Cloudflare ensures that the passwords it generates are truly random? 
This is not a rhetorical question. You're actually asking me. Yeah, I'm asking you. I mean, what would your guess be? Well, oh my word. Uh, random generator on a PC, a bunch of monkeys in a room with some dictionaries. I don't know. How? Well, you're actually closer with the monkeys in a room with uh, dictionaries. So according to New Scientist, it trains cameras on 100 lava lamps. That's right. What? I said, yeah, lava lamps, you know, those glowing, sticky yeah. 1960s things that teenage boys love. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I still love them. I've never outgrown lava lamps. If I could have a room yeah. full of them, I absolutely would. But um, Cloudflare uses them because the wax is constantly moving and evolving and breaking off in random ways. So it uses the images oh. of the wax to trigger the password sequences that the computers then generate. Now, of course, not everyone can have a warehouse full of lava, lava lamps, but, you know, God, what a place that would be to work. Um, so, you know, scientists in Turkey have found an easier way. It seems that when uh, DRAM memory chips are pushed beyond their design limitations, they can create truly random numbers. They start to generate noise. And within these noise, you can uh, start to get these truly random numbers. To avoid slowing the computer systems down, because you know, you're essentially overclocking the, the chips, yeah. uh, what they can do is overclock them and generate those random numbers during downtime and then stockpile them. And this could end up being another vital tool in our privacy armory. Uh, we saw the recent cyber attacks in Ukraine, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and as conflicts and crime increasingly you know, move into that digital realm, encryption and the tools that bypass that encryption are going to be these new battlegrounds. Fascinating. Um, time for a quick one before the break. Yeah, I mean, I can't top lava lamps, but, you know, um, we're... <laughs> That's a good one so far, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, we're all well aware of the Pacific garbage patch and the high concentration of uh, plastic straws that end up in landfills and waterways. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had other alternatives. My own favourite are bamboo straws. I tend to hit my teeth with the metal ones. You know, I worry about chipping them, and the paper ones are, well, you know, often a bit soggy unless mm. they're waxed, in which case they're pretty much impossible to recycle anyway. Uh, there are plenty of biodegradable straw alternatives, but often they're expensive because the processes to manufacture them are quite complex. And some of them need specific recycling conditions or heat treatments in order to kickstart that uh, biodegrading procedure and actually break down the materials in the straw. Until now... How did you guess? Uh, anyone would think you know how these stories work. Uh, scientists at the University of Science and Technology of China have created uh, an edible straw. It's made out of bacterial cellulose. It has a similar structure to paper. According to New Scientist, it's commonly synthesized by a lot of bacteria when you feed them sugars, so it's naturally occurring. The team harvested the cellulose sheets and then rolled it into a substance called, uh, uh, rolled it in a substance rather called sodium alginate, which fills the holes in the structure, which makes it watertight. And hey presto, you have a straw that's made at a similar cost to making a plastic straw and one that is far more robust than uh, things like paper and other biodegradable materials, which can be 10 times as expensive. Mm. And mm. most importantly, it will still simply degrade like plant matter. Um, 
You mentioned that they're edible. Well, yeah, the teams say that technically they're edible because both the cellulose and the sodium alginate are essentially uh, foodstuffs. They don't recommend eating them. They liken the taste to uh, coconut with all the moisture removed, which sounds absolutely delicious. Might make a nice sandwich filling. Um, you know, we've we've talked about cellulose as a replacement for plastic before. So the mm. team is currently looking for other ways to use this technology that will replace more of these planet-poisoning plastics that we've become over-reliant on. That's pretty much a result uh, from a little bit of cellulose, I reckon. Yeah. Okay, um, when we come back, robots. What else we might be talking about? You tune into Might Explained here on BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Matt's Plane. I'm Rich Bradbury. Um, Matt, did anyone comment on the um, Matt bot from last week? Surprisingly, they they did. A couple of people reached out and told me that they knew something wasn't quite right with the voice, but they didn't realize it was machine generated until we actually made that announcement. So that's cool. I'll keep training it and we'll drop bits in and see if people notice. That was one, wasn't it? No, that's just me being normal um too obvious i guess but um you know i i want it to be a, a kind of a, a big jump kind of improvement so i'm not going to drop it so soon uh i know i promised robots before the break but uh, mm. before we get there i would like to reassure everyone that uh, according to the uh, federal aviation authority in the u.s fedex the uh, logistics company isn't going to be equipping its planes with laser weapons anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I kind of briefly saw this uh, the other day. Tell me more about it. Well, yeah, this is one of those stories where the story isn't really the story. It's really about the story underneath the story. If any of that makes sense. Uh, no, but please go on. Yeah, apparently back in 2019, FedEx submitted a proposal to mount laser-based counter-missile defenses on some of its cargo planes. Mm. Now, a number of civil aircraft have been targeted by missile systems in recent years. Sadly, that includes Malaysia's MH17, which in 2014 was shot down over a disputed part of Ukraine. A number of uh, global terror groups have also demonstrated their ability to target military and civilian flights with uh, shoulder-launched missile systems. Some airlines have already installed uh, missile countermeasures, the kind that send out flares to confuse the heat-seeking sensors on the rockets. Mm -hmm. uh, according to the 2019 filing, FedEx planned to test and possibly install a laser-based deflection system on its planes. Now, 
I know it sounds like, you know, oh, they've got like a laser cannon that will blow mm. up missiles. No, the the systems aren't destructive. Uh, it wasn't, you know, planned to turn FedEx's fleet into some kind of airborne tank busting unit or anything. Uh, huh. Their systems are described as being like high powered laser pointers. So they lock onto an incoming missile and uh, disrupt the heat signatures by, you know, shining a bright hot light into them. Why has the FAA said no? I don't know. It's really confusing, to be honest. The FAA seems to have put out contradictory statements this month. It said that FedEx can trial it, and then it said that it can't. Uh, I have a feeling that whatever the current decision, we are going to see systems like this being added to more and more commercial flights over coming years. Uh, and don't forget that there's still this ongoing debate in the US of, over the compatibility of 5G networks and airline navigation systems. Yeah. Uh, the air industry regulators in the US have successfully lobbied to have the go switch for 5G delayed in the US until I think February or possibly later until accommodations can be reached. Now, we haven't seen issues or disruptions in places like China and Europe where the 5G rollout began, you know, a couple of years ago. But mm -hmm. the US does have a history of using different parts of the radio spectrum for its mobile comms to every other country. So maybe it has something to do with that. But right. no weapons on uh, FedEx planes. Uh, I do hope we've cleared that up. And uh, I hope you're in the mood for robots now. Well, yeah, I've been waiting for robots since, you know, before the break. Here's a happy one about a corkscrew-shaped robot that can deliver drugs that dissolve blood clots. Uh, on one of our yeah, on one of our previous weird science shows, we talked about a 4D robot that coils itself like a corkscrew so that it can roll. Uh, uh -huh. This is similar in theory rather than construction to uh, a microbot created at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Its corkscrew shape enables it to swim through a vein as though it was a propeller. Its operators uh, use magnets to navigate it through the vein to the source of the clot where it releases its payload. But it's also hoped that it can be used to deliver more than just drugs. So for example, it could use localized heating systems that could target and kill cancer cells. So again, we're back to the FedEx laser. Uh, now... I don't know about you, Matt, but dragging a robot through the body with magnets doesn't exactly sound very high tech. I know it sounds quite painful, um, but apparently yeah. it's it's not really dragging it. So the magnet creates the rotation and the robot propels itself in the direction that it is rotating. But yes, the team in Hong Kong has stated, uh, again, this is from New Scientist, that smaller and shorter veins may be more suited to this kind of treatment because in longer veins, that navigation will become a lot trickier. They're currently using a Doppler radar to track the machine while it's in the vein. So it's not like there's a camera there and uh, somebody can you know, remotely steer it. At the moment, the experiments are only with synthetic veins in a lab. Uh, they need to be very sure that it will be safe, that it won't be painful, before they can move on to trials in obviously living things and and people. Uh-huh. How are they addressing these issues of, of piloting these micro robots? Uh, 
Well, that's the cool thing about this generation of robots. You know, we tend to think of robots in the movie sense. We think of these humanoid or hulking great things, Mm. whereas a lot of the innovation is happening at these much smaller scales. We will come back to the humanoid robots in a future episode. Uh, Elon Musk is, of course, promising to have a humanoid robot developed by Tesla by the end of this year. So we'll have a look at the reality and viability of those claims. But a team of researchers at the University of West England in the UK has come up with a robot that's piloted by algae. Now, I know, I know it sounds it sounds so weird. West England and piloted by algae. Yeah, it makes sense though. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, um, you know, I, again, you know, it might freak some people out. Uh, the idea of AI is scary enough. Now we're putting bioorganisms in charge of machines. Uh, in this case, you know, the the team wanted to create a machine that had no motors or other electronics, so it wouldn't there wouldn't be any electromagnetic interference uh, to any instruments or uh, analyses that the the robot might be carrying out. So they Mm -hmm. went back to the natural world for inspiration. What what are they using? Photosynthesis? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, they they inserted the algae. Uh, It's a type of naturally occurring freshwater algae called a a merino, a merimo, sorry. Mm. Uh, They inserted the algae into a 3D printed sphere and they put it into water. And of course, when the algae is exposed to light, that's when you get that photosynthesis. So Mm -hmm. the merimo starts to create oxygen. This oxygen propels the sphere because there are vents in its structure and that pushes it away from the light. So they haven't found a a way to remote pilot the algae, but it can float around objects that get in its way so that it can carry out whatever tasks it's been given to do. So it can do kind of basic tasks like measure temperature of the water, check water quality, uh, all that kind of thing. And it's very cheap. The researchers estimate that each robot costs around £25 uh, sterling. That's, Mm. you know, that's 35 US dollars or 150 ringgit. You know, try getting Boston Dynamics to make you a robot for that kind of money or even a Lego robot for (laughs) for that matter. Um, Is there anything dangerous about this algae? Well, not in the Skynet sense, uh, although there is a great 80s B-movie called The Stuff about an algae that looks like Froyo that takes over the world. Yeah, you probably remember that. It's worth uh, having a look at that again. I mean, it's it's great in that terrible sense. But, um, you know, yes, there is a concern that the algae could leak into systems or locations where it isn't normally found. And of course, you know, algae blooms. So steps would have to be taken to make sure it didn't pollute the systems that it's designed to, you know, make sure that the quality control is Mm. uh, is being maintained. And for sure, you know, you probably wouldn't want to add it to that Chinese University of Hong Kong corkscrew robot as it wobbles through your veins. Um, But it is a great example of using examples from uh, evolution and the natural world to create these next-gen machine tech innovations. Okay, then. Uh, So after all of that, how are we going to end this week's uh, Museum of Horrors? Well, uh, a security flaw, uh, a security flaw that uh, allowed a 19-year-old white hat security hacker to remote 
remotely control various functions on Teslas around the world. Uh, the hacker, David Colombo, pointed out that this isn't actually a flaw in any of Tesla's code. This was found via a third-party app that's used by a lot of Tesla owners to control different aspects of their cars. And he found that the app isn't or wasn't adequately protecting the information that it pulled from the Tesla API. Now, uh-huh. he hasn't named the app at this point because some of the faults haven't been patched, uh, hence me saying isn't or wasn't earlier because it depends on what happens by the time this is broadcast. Mm-hmm. The vulnerabilities wouldn't allow him to take over critical controls like steering, accelerating, or braking, uh, thankfully, but he could unlock the doors, start the car, and mess around with the operating system. You know, things like turning up the volume on the stereo randomly, that kind of stuff. Uh, What about location data? Of course, that's something that people are fearful about sharing. Well, that was probably the most troubling aspect. Um, He could access all of the route information for the car. He could see where the car was. He could see where it had been. And that would make it theoretically possible for potential thieves to locate and unlock a car to gain access to it Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. and i guess if you know you were a horrible prankster you could use it to deplete the battery a bit as well but it does bring us full circle to what we were talking about in the first half of the show which are all those privacy aspects maybe this kind of flaw is something that a service like apple's private relay could help to protect against because Mm -hmm. this is an app that sits on people's smartphones you know, not that any of that is an excuse for companies not to do it themselves. But this shows that uh, even when, you know, really big technology companies like Tesla do their best to keep uh, their system secure and protect your safety and to protect your personal data, the third parties we select to, uh, you know, act as gatekeepers for that information may not have the same kind of resources or the ability to protect that data in the same way. So, you know, maybe this is one relay race that all the other companies should just let Apple win. Did you make a funny? Well, no, I just tried to tie it up in the way that I, I brought it up. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think it was that amusing. And that's from somebody who makes bad jokes all the time. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to wrap up Matt's Plains for this week's episode. Of course, you can find Matt on Instagram and on Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to CulturePop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. And if you did miss any part of this show, you can download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available for the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Richard Bradbury for BFM 89.9. Tech Talk was brought to you by Cellcom Business. Get serious about cybersecurity and secure your business's digital future at business.cellcom.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.